Well, this morning, I want to continue on a conversation of what I shared last week. Last week, I shared about a part of my encounter where I saw this thing that was happening in me, where my body, my soul, my spirit were not aligned. And I began to speak about alignment within ourselves. I asked the question, uh, are we aligned? Are you aligned? In fact, I had people texting me all week saying that that was one of the most powerful questions they've been asked in a long time. If they are aligned, if, if, if there's a part of them that agrees with the thing of God, things of God, but does all of, all of them, all of, all of their being agree with the things of God? And that's the conversation. I sort of finished my thought on, on the soul last week. In fact, the title of my message was Soul in Sync. And I, I, we spoke about how our spirit and our soul are called to work with each other. But sometimes we face this conflict where my soul or my emotions want to go a certain way, but my spirit wants to go a certain way. And there's almost this collision or this conflict that happens. But we've been designed by God. I spoke about how when God breathed into mankind, the breath of life, pneuma, in that carried the spirit and also the substance of our soul. And we agreed that our emotions are not a bad thing. That when we feel a certain way, it's not necessarily a bad thing. They're indicators. And we've been designed by heaven, by God, by the technology of heaven in this unique thing called mankind. That's who we are. And I want to dive a bit deeper. We try to define the makeup of our soul, that we made up of emotions, our mind, our intellect, our mental being. And this morning, I want to, I want to add another word because I want to always use scripture to help identify these things. And I want to read from Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 11. It says, Yet God has made everything beautiful for its own time. He has planted eternity in the human heart. But even so, people cannot see the whole scope of God's work from the beginning to the end. What a powerful scripture. It's talking about how in life sometimes we get strained, we get challenged, we, can't, we seem to carry the weight of things around us. But God has put eternity in the human heart. And the word I want to talk about is the word heart. So we've, spoke, we've spoken about the soul and we've broken into aspects of the soul as our mind, our intellect, uh, our, our mental being. But there's this thing called in scripture that constantly comes up called the heart. And what I want to do is I want to use a story from scripture uh, that's going to inspire us, that's going to draw us and, and then build some truth from there. Uh, you know, and, and so the title of this message, if, you, if you're taking notes, is Heaven is in my heart. The reason I'm saying that is because Ecclesiastes chapter 3 verse 11 says eternity. Where is eternity? That's heaven. Heaven is in my heart. God has planted heaven in our hearts. God has planted eternity in our hearts. The things of the eternal things, the, 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 not the temporal things, but the eternal things carry within our hearts. And, and to help us identify this and to help us understand this, I want to speak from 1 Samuel chapter 9. Uh, 1 Samuel chapter 9, we're going to sort of parachute into the story. So I want to really give you an abbreviated version of what happened. The nation of Israel is, is complaining. They're saying we've had judges, we've had leaders, we've had prophets, but we want to have a king. They go to Samuel who was leading the nation of Israel and says, hey Samuel, You've, you've had a great run. You've led us for a couple of decades now. But as we look at your kids, we don't feel any one of them have this leadership gifting on them. And so we need, we need, to, we need to have a king. 
We don't want to just have a prophet. We're thankful for you being our prophet and our priest and our leader. Uh, but we, we need to have a king. A king that's, you know, there's an element of pride in having a king. There's an element of the royalty that's in having a king. And, and, and so Samuel's confused because he's like, how do I start the search process? And God begins to speak to Samuel, uh, the prophet at that time, and says to him, don't worry, I've heard the cries of the people and I'm causing them to ask this way. Uh, and, and Samuel begins to sort of go, but which tribe do I begin? Because if you don't know, Israel had 12 tribes and they were all needy picky saying, pick my tribe, pick our tribe, let the first king be from our tribe. And there were some sort of uh, heavy hitters like the tribe of Judah. They always led the charge. They're always the stronger tribe. And they were like, we're the ones ready. And so Samuel was scared. He didn't know where to start. He was like, do I, try, do I start with the tribe of Levi? Because that's where the priests, the priests and the leaders come from. But they're called to be priests. He was confused because Moses, who had written all these laws, had never put in a, a standard or procedure in place for king selection. And so God speaks to Samuel and literally says to him, I will show you the man. And this, the name of this young man was Saul. And what, so, so that is what's happening in this part of the world. Samuel is having God conversations and, and God's beginning to whisper in his ears about this guy called Saul. In this, in this realm, there's this young boy, this young man called Saul, and his dad owns a business. Uh, he's got lots of donkeys and does all this trading and transportation and things of like that. But the Bible goes on to say in First Samuel chapter 9 that the donkeys, I don't know what happened, probably they had a revolution or they felt like they weren't getting fed enough or getting paid enough or whatever, and they just make a run for it and they're all gone. And so, Sam, so Saul wakes up and dad's like, you're not hanging out with the boys today. You're going to go out and search for the donkeys. And so here is Saul searching for the donkeys. He's Saul looking for uh, his dad's business. The things, because the reason why they need to have the donkeys is because if they don't have the donkeys, the business is not going to thrive. If the, if the business is not thriving, the staff won't be paid. If the staff are not paying, paid, the work will not be done. If the work is not done, there's no food on the table. Are you tracking with me? So this is where Saul's train of thinking is. He's just a young guy going about his day. Dad runs a business. He's helping out his dad. And so, God, so, so his dad sends him searching for the donkeys. But as he's searching, he recognizes that all the apps, all the conversations, nothing's helping. He needs to have supernatural divine intervention so the guy who's helping him search says to him hey do you know there's a guy called Samuel he's like technically like the leader of Israel uh, but he's like this prophet and maybe if we ask him nicely uh, he might actually help us to find the donkey so you've got the donkey finder and you've got the next king appointer right and God is creating this collision this collision between the things of the spirit and the things of the soul. The things of the spirit. Saul was going after the things of the soul. I need to get this so that my emotions okay. Dad's not having any more anxiety attacks and heartaches because the donkey's all around town and not, not in the paddock. You've got, you've got King Samuel, oh, you've got leader Samuel looking for the next king, the things of the spirit. And so that is the context in which we were about to read. First Samuel chapter 9, verse 11. As they were going up the hill to the town, 
they met some young women coming out to draw water. And they asked them, is the seer here? Now, back in the day, they used to call prophets seers. Is the seer here? He is, they answered. He is ahead of you. Hurry now. He has just come to our town today for the people have a sacrifice at the high place. As soon as you enter the town, you will find him before he goes up to the high place to eat. The people will not begin eating until he comes because he must bless the sacrifice. Afterwards, those who are invited will eat. Go up now. You should find him about this time. Verse 14. They went up to the town and as they were entering it, there was Samuel coming toward them on his way up to the high place. Check it out. They're going into town. Samuel's coming down. Now, verse 15. Now, the day before Saul came, the Lord revealed this to Samuel about this time tomorrow. I love those words, about this time tomorrow. I will send you a man from the land of Benjamin and anoint him ruler over my people Israel. He will deliver them from the hand of the Philistines. I have looked on my people for their cry has reached me. Verse 18, scrolling down to verse 18, it says, Saul approached Samuel. So I want you to notice Samuel's got this thing going on in his head. God's talking to him. Saul's got no idea. He's like, I just need to get my dad's donkeys. You know, he's, he's, they, they're intersecting. They're just having this conversation. No idea that this is a heaven conversation. Saul approached Samuel in the gateway and asked him, would you please tell me where the seer's house is? So he doesn't even know he's talking to Samuel. He's like, I'm looking for Samuel. Do you know where his house is? And verse 19, Samuel says, I am the seer. Go up ahead of me to the high place. For today, you're going you're gonna to eat with me. We're going to have some food. In the morning, I will send you on your way. And check out, what, check out what he says. And will tell you all that is in your heart. Will tell you all that is in your heart. Then, then he says, verse 20, As for the donkeys... You lost three days ago. Do not worry about them, for they've been found. And to whom is all the desire of Israel's turned, if not to you and your whole family line? Now I want you to notice Saul's words. Saul answered, but, I am not a ben but, but am I not a Benjamite from the smallest tribe of Israel? And is not my clan the least of all the clans of the tribe of Benjamin? Why do you say such a thing to me? I want you to notice this is such a powerful, powerful, powerful moment. Over the years as I've read this, whenever I would read the story and I would read about how Samuel says to Saul that I will say everything that's in your heart. I thought he was referring to the donkeys, but he actually wasn't. He was actually referring to how Saul saw himself. And the way Saul saw himself was he was the least of the least of the least. He was of the weakest tribe, and not just that, his family name, the family within that tribe, was the youngest, the weakest, the, not the most, you know, well-known, even within their own tribe, needless to say, all of Israel. And so, and, but with that, Saul was in conflict because he had that, but he actually also had a dream. And the dream was to be of something of prominence. The dream was to be of something used of God. But there was no position created yet for that dream. Have you ever felt where God is calling you to a place, but the position's not there? The venture is not there. The avenue is not there. The pathway is not there. And it seems so absurd because then you look back and you look at your context, you look at your upbringing, you look at your bank account and you're like, how can I even get there to a place that doesn't even exist out there? 
but exists in here. And so Saul is a contradiction because his soul says, you're just the son of the donkey business guy. You're just the weakest of the tribe. But his, his heart is also saying, I feel called to greatness. I feel called to bigness. I feel called to something more. Because I want you to notice what it says. If we can put it up, he says in verse 19, the last part, it says, in the morning, I will send you on your way and will tell you all. Don't tell me that all he was thinking about was the donkeys. All that is in your heart. And notice the word in verse 20. As for the donkeys, like he was changing the topic. I'm talking about all that is in your heart. But, oh, by the way, about the donkeys, which means it wasn't necessarily in his heart, right? As for the donkeys, you've lost, they've been found. Are you tracking with me? You've got to understand this because so many times we think what we have in our heart is what we have in our heart. But when, you're, when, you're, when you surrender your heart, when you surrender your soul, when you surrender your mind to the things of the Spirit, it actually taps into a deeper place within you yourself. A dream, a seed, an idea, a concept, a, a, a call that was there right from the beginning of time. Right? We, like we read from Ecclesiastes chapter 3, where heaven, eternity, has been put within our hearts. Some of you, you're just finding Jesus. But let me tell you, Jesus found you a long time ago. Jesus found you a long time ago. He put something in your heart. And the day you get saved is when that thing in your heart got activated. And so that is what is happening. I want us to jump to the next chapter because the encounter is not yet over. In 1 Samuel chapter 10, verse 6, the Spirit of the Lord will come powerfully upon you. This is Samuel talking to Saul. And you will prophesy with them and you will be changed into a different person. Now check out what verse 7 says. Once these signs are fulfilled, do whatever your hand finds to do, for God is with you. Now verse 9, one of my most favorite scriptures. And Saul turned. I want you to notice they met this way. And Saul's about to turn. Saul turned to leave Samuel. And God changed Saul's heart. God changed Saul's heart. The new King James says, and God gave him a new heart. And God gave him a new heart. How many of us would like a new heart? How many of us would like God's hand to come upon us in such a powerful way that he creates within us a new heart? It's not like he's taking away the old heart. It's that he's activating things within our own heart in a new way. And I believe that's what I'm talking about when, we, when we're trying to find this thing called alignment within ourselves, within spirit, soul, body. It's got to do with this place where we're constantly finding this new posture within our hearts. Last week, I shared about how Jesus' very first word was, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for He's anointed me to heal the brokenhearted. People that, that have come, that if you, if you carry a broken heart, and a broken heart is not a broken heart that's been caused by relationship, and it can be the case, but a broken heart is a heart that's been scarred, that's been tainted, that's been hurt, that's been not performing or functioning in its fullest version, the broken heart. But talking about hearts, I want to talk about different hearts that we find in Scripture. The first heart that I want to talk about is the hardened heart. In the book of Exodus, we read that Pharaoh's heart was hardened. It says that Pharaoh's heart was hardened. And the reason I'm bringing these, these ideas and these concepts is because I want to put this in front of us this morning like a mirror and ask us the question, are we the bearer of any of these hearts? 
Do you have a hardened heart? And I want to talk about what happens. A lot of times we carry a hardened heart because of a dream that wasn't met. Because of a vision. Sometimes vision is amazing. But sometimes vision can consume us to such a point that we become the vision and we can't distinguish ourselves from the vision. Pharaoh, what happened with Pharaoh was Pharaoh had such a big dream of building an incredible kingdom that he got obsessed, that he was like, I don't care about the people. I don't care how hard it gets. I don't care how intense it gets. That, that there was a hardness that came about him that, that he began to forget what really mattered. And sometimes needs can cause a hardened heart. Pain can cause a hardened heart. When we come across too much pain, uh, we, we, we reach a place where it's like, I, I've got to harden myself. I've got to toughen myself so I don't feel the ache. Sorrow. When you're exposed to excessive sorrow, it's like, oh, there we go, another situation. And you know, even, even in the medical industry, in the, if, I don't know if that's the right word, but in the medical field, they teach people you, you cannot empathize and get emotionally attached to someone who's wounded. And, and obviously that has its place because you, you're not rationally thinking. Your brain's not there. I understand that. And, and that's great in that context. And I think it's essential to be rational in our thinking to, to do operations and surgeries and things like that. But in life, that comes upon us where what begins to happen is we embrace the pain around us. And so we go, I will never feel this pain again. And because I never want to feel this pain, I want to harden myself. And if I harden myself, I'll never need to emotionally connect the way I need. I've been called to connect and I'll never advance into the things that God has for me. And, and so we become hardened to situations. You, you know, uh, another thing that's hardened us, hardened me at times, is social media. We follow, like, like we, I've been following all these persecuted churches, right? Persecuted churches around the world. I remember when I was a young boy and I would read about what happened in this church here. And church, I, I would grieve over it. I'd cry over it. I'd, pay, I'd, 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 you know, I'd you know, feel the ache over it. But as you follow things online, or oh, church persecuted here, church persecuted there, church persecuted. It's, it's just one of the, you're just scrolling through pain. You're scrolling through pain. And it's not even hitting here that we are seeing our own brothers and sisters being hurt. And I had a moment where I was like convicted. I was like, I've become hardened to this because I've seen it so much that I don't feel the gravity about it of it anymore. And, and I think it's really important that we understand it. The danger is when we become hardened towards circumstances, including the presence of God. I've shared openly with my team here moments in time even in our own worship experiences and things in different places I've been to, I've been so focused on getting everything organized that worship's happening. Literally the presence, the power of God is in the room. And I'm so caught up in all the things, which is all great, but there's a hardening that comes. And what happens is when that hardening comes, it desensitizes us to the presence of God. It desensitizes us to the encounters that God has for us. I wonder how many encounters I have missed because of a hardened heart. Because I've just gone, oh, oh I'm thinking about this and po possibly important things to be thinking about. But really in the light of everything was, was, was not what really what we were there for. We were there to encounter God. And, and I've had to constantly say, God, God, soften my heart. Keep my heart tender before you. Keep my heart fresh and healthy. Lord, let my heart not be hardened. Yes, let me, let me not be crushed at every news I hear. 
I mean, if I if I if I if I've got a, if got if I've got that tender heart that's not strong or that's not robust, I'll be crushed daily. I'll be crushed by the hour with the stuff I hear, with the world that we live in, and and, and so it's a it's a it's a, almost a tension to manage where I don't let that sit on me, but I've got to let that flow through me. I don't let that sit on me, but I've got to let that flow through me, and 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 that's important that we understand that. That we what a what a hardened heart is. I'll ask us the question this morning: Do you have a hardened heart? The second heart I want to talk about is a heavy heart. Proverbs chapter twenty-five, verse twenty. It says, "Like one who takes away a garment on a cold day, or like vinegar poured on a wound, is one who sings songs to a heavy heart, to a heavy heart." How many times have you heard a news and suddenly you just felt heavy? Literally, it's crazy how the heart works. I know the heart's an organ, but we know if you're human, uh, you know for a fact that the heart's more than an organ. How many times you've heard a news and you you just you, I've heard people say this. I felt my heart sunk. I felt my heart sink. It's that heaviness that comes upon us. You know, we experience stuff that comes our way, and a heaviness, a burden comes around us. A heavy heart. Now, none of these things are because of anybody's fault. It's not. Oh, you shouldn't have done this, or they shouldn't have done this. It's just circumstances of life that can cause our hearts to be hardened, that can cause our hearts to be heavy. You know, we read through and through in Scripture about people that carried a heavy heart. You know, a heavy heart with things that came their way. And I want to speak into your world. If you're going through a heavy heart, if you're going through a heavy-hearted situation, it could be the betrayal, it could be the death of a loved one. It could be just circumstances that are challenging you. It can be the weight of finances at times. Uh, you know, anxiety attack. I don't know if you know, but anxiety attack feels like a heart attack. Most times, when people have, it's like your heart starts beating fast. You start having aches. I remember the first time I had one when I was a teenager. I thought I was having a heart attack, and it was like, oh my gosh, what is going on? It feels real. Why? It's that. It's that. It's that heavy heart. You know, you feel the heaviness. You hear some news. You hear some information. It's like, how's this happening? My world's falling apart. And your heart carries the weight of it. And it's not just the organ feeling it, but your being feels it. Your emotion feels it. Your mind feels it. Your brain feels it. And it's, and it's heavy. It's heavy. There's no doubt about that. It's heavy and it's real. It's heavy and it's real. And I want to take a moment to speak into situations and people that are going through some real heaviness. You know, Jesus says this, if you're burdened, if you're heavy, heavy laden, come to me. I will give you rest. And I want to encourage you. Uh, Jesus does not say the problems will go. He does not say the relationships will be fixed. Praise God. Let's hope and believe that that happens. But, but when you're going through the heaviness, come to him. In fact, Jesus says, uh, the word says, for I will take away the garment of heaviness and put upon you a garment of praise, a garment of joy. And I want you to know that's available to us this morning. A heavy heart, a heavy heart. The second, the third thing, the third kind of heart that I want to talk about is a divided heart. A divided heart. Psalm 86 verse 11 in the New, in, in New International says, Teach me your way, Lord, that I may rely on your faithfulness. Give me an undivided heart that I may fear your name. You know that word that can be played with? It says, give me an undivided heart that I may be aware of you. 
that I may be conscious of you. Give me an undivided heart that I may be conscious. I may be fully aware when I walk into a room, when I'm with my family, when I'm with my church, when I'm with my kids, when I'm in the shopping center, when I'm at a cafe, let me be aware. Let me be aware of the things that you have for me. Let me be aware of what you have for me. Let me be aware of what you have for me. Because the psalmist says an undivided heart, which also tells me that you can have a divided heart. A divided heart is where, God, I give you my heart, but a portion of it. I live for you on Sundays. And I know I'm making, making a joke of it, but you know, I've had a divided heart. It's like, God, I love you, but, but, but this, uh, God, I love you, and, but I need to buy those pair of kicks. You know, God, I love you, but I want to do this. And un, a, a divided heart. So many times we can, have a, we can have a divided heart. And this is not to uh, make us feel bad. This is not to make us feel like, oh, you, you know, how, how can it be? You know, one of the perfect stories in the Bible of a divided heart was Jonah, where Jonah was called by God. The power of God was in his life. God assigned him. God provided for him. And God gave him a word. And God said to him, I want you to travel to these people and share the good news. How great is that? But Jonah was like, you know what? God, I want to obey you, but I'm divided. I'm divided because I know that the good news works. In fact, Jonah's argument was, what if I share the good news and they change? And I don't want them to change because I want them to be judged. Because his heart had fostered hatred towards that people group so isn't that crazy in the same heart the same heart that God used to bring healing to Israel is the same heart that fosters hatred to God's creation a divided heart and so the Bible goes on to say that eventually he was divided a part of him knew he had to go this way but he chooses to go that way supposed to go to uh to parts of the Middle East. He ends up going to Europe. In fact, he goes to modern day Portugal. That's where he goes on the Mediterranean cruise liner that he's on. All sorts of things begin to happen. And there are consequences, church, to being a carrier of a divided heart. It's not necessarily that you're going to be in a storm or you're going to be swallowed by a fish or any of that sort. But, but, but there are consequences. And the biggest consequence we face is that we will never walk in the fullness of what he's called us to walk in. When you are the carrier of a divided heart, you're never able to be fully there. You're never able to be fully present. You're never able to be fully, uh, be a carrier of the presence of God into the room, into the spaces, into the environments that you need to step into. And that becomes a dangerous thing. So I wanna encourage us. I wanna, and I love this. This is not the prayer of a sinner. This is the prayer of David. Who the Bible says that a heart after the heart of God. This guy prayed this way. He said, give me an undivided heart. I believe that's a great prayer to pray this morning. Say, God, sometimes my heart's divided. I, I know I need to do this. And this, this, this bears witness to what Paul says. Where he says, I know what I need to do. One part of me. But I don't do what I want to do. Or what I need to do. I do what I want to do. And what I want to do, I don't like to do. And this constant place that some of us can live at times. But let me encourage you, church, and, let, and inform you this morning that you don't have to live in that place of division constantly. 
when you completely surrender and say, God, I place this before you and I, and I say to you, God, come, give me an undivided heart that I may, that I may fear your name. I want to finish off with Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 20, uh, 36, verse 26 and 27. I want to speak this as a promise over you. Then I want to pray for you because I believe that God can do this. God's done this in my life. God's done this in the people that I know. I believe God can do this in each and every one of us. And you know the truth is, church, when you begin to carry an undivided heart, when you are healed from the hardness of heart, or from being a carrier of a heavy heart, or having an undivided heart. These are three different categories. When God sets, sets that off you, when God tenderizes your heart, when God uh, removes the heaviness and allows the freedom of His Spirit to pour in, when God takes away the division and unifies your heart, let me tell you, you become an unstoppable force for the kingdom of God. In Ezekiel 36, the prophet Ezekiel is prophesying but he's actually prophesying not about that group of people. He's actually prophesying of the New Testament, the New Covenant believer, the church, you and I. And he's saying in Ezekiel 36, verse 20, 26, it says, I will give you a new heart. Wow. And put a new spirit in you. See, some of us have captured a new spirit, but we've got to capture a new heart. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. See, so many times I find people that struggle with sin and they're like, it's just so difficult. I want to follow God, but it's just so difficult. I want to walk in God's ways, but it's just so difficult. I keep being tempted and I understand that. Jesus understands that. But he came along the way and he died for you and he shed his blood and, and he gave us the victory. Because of that, we have the Holy Spirit. And one of the things that the Holy Spirit does is, let me tell you, He's a little secret. You don't have to force yourself, but the Holy Spirit literally is the carrier of the laws. The Holy Spirit is literally the carriers of the commandments. You don't need to walk around with a booklet, oh, can I do this? So many times people come to me saying, uh, Pastor, what can I do? What can't I do? And whenever I hear those questions, I, I, I don't judge, but I'm like, hey, you just need to tap into the Spirit of God who lives inside of you and He will lead you into all truth. Not, not any truth, but all truth. And, and that's what, what happens when, when our heart gets into a place of purity and of wholeness and completeness. We create literally like a dock for the Spirit of God to permeate our room, our being, our atmosphere. And it changes everything where we're not saying, oh, what is right or what is wrong? Can I do this? Can I not do this? It's a way of life. The way of the Spirit is a way of life. And that is available to each and every one of us. So if you're here this morning and you feel like, and this is the truth, this, this message can bear witness with all of us in many variances. But if you feel like you're the carrier of a, of a hardened heart, Things that got you emotional about the things of God doesn't get you. Some people tell me, I used to cry before in church. I don't anymore. I just grew up. Well, my prayer is that we would never grow up. That we would always have that childlike faith. That, that when the song is sung, that there will be a tear still going through my eyes, even at 85. That, that I would still have that, that thing with God where it's God, I thank you for saving me. 
that there will be a humility in my spirit. There will be a, there will be a flow in the things that, that I carry. Or, or maybe you, you carry a heavy heart. Life has just been tough. Life has been difficult. Life has been crazy. I understand that. And you carry a heavy heart. And you're like, I don't know what I'm going to do with this heaviness. Well, let me tell you, put it at the feet of Jesus. Lay it down. Lay it down. Trust him. Sometimes we hold on to the heaviness because that's our card. That's our card. You know, I once prayed for a lady in, in, in the south side of Brisbane who wanted to get off the wheelchair, but did not fully want to get off the wheelchair. And as I begin to minister to her, the reality was because she would lose all her concessions. And sometimes we carry a heavy heart because that's our concession card. Well, you don't know what I've been through. You don't know what's happened my way. And let me tell you, Jesus knows what you've been through. Sometimes the world doesn't need to know. And even if the world knows, they don't, they don't have the answer. But I want, I want you to give, I want you to release, not just give, release it this morning. Release that heaviness. Let go of that heaviness. Let heaviness not be your middle name. Alwyn Heaviness Matt. You know, we carry that within, it's like our identity. Let go of that identity. Heaviness is not who you are. Don't let that be a part of your personality. He's called you to walk in freedom. Let me tell you, when you come in contact with the King of Kings, when you come in contact with the, with the, with the captain of heaven, it lifts off that heaviness. It takes off. Or maybe you, you, you carry a divided heart. You're just divided all the time. I want to do this, but I want to say this, and I want to go there and do that. Oh, well, well, get unified. Come before his presence and say, God, I need you to help me. And you know what? You don't have to, oh, it's like, oh, okay, Alwyn, I'm going to put my three-point habit, behaviors, plan, planning for the next 21 days. No, no, no. I literally just want you to surrender. Say, God, I give it to you. I give you my heart. God, I lay it down. Come and put in me, just like Ezekiel says, I will give you a new heart. Just like God gave Saul a new heart. He did nothing and God put a new heart in him. Let's pray for God to put within all of us a new heart. Father, I pray right now for your church. I pray right now for your children. Lord, I thank you, God, that you are the heart maker. And I pray right now for a heart transplant in Jesus' name. I pray right now for every person that feels that they've been hardened because of circumstances around them. And they've been even hardened to the things of God. I pray, God, that you would humble us, tenderize us, put within us a heart a human heart, a heart, a heart of flesh that carries feelings and emotions. Let us be able to express ourselves and be vulnerable, even when it feels inconvenient. Lord, I pray for people that carry a heavy heart. Lord, my heart goes out to your children. Lord, you're close to the heavy hearted. You love them so dearly. You're drawn to them, Lord. You eagerly wait for them to come and lay down the heaviness that they carry through the week. And Lord, I pray for people that feel divided. Divided between the call of God and the call of man. The call of God and the call of the world. I declare in the name of Jesus that we would be one like you are one. That there would be unity within ourselves. And that you would do great and mighty things among us. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. God bless you church. I want you to know we pray for you daily. Email us. So many of you have been writing to us and sharing what God's been doing. And I've just loved every morning. I've got prayer requests on my iPad that I pray for. And 
I'd love to include you and believe with you and see God do great things. But let me tell you, God is still where He needs to be in your world. Lean in, tap into the things of God, and I want you to know we love you so dearly.